Just want to welcome you if you're visiting with us this morning. It's great to have you with us. Uh, you probably don't know me then, and that's uh, so. My name's Tony, and I'm going to be opening up Matthew 25, or at least the second half of that, with you this morning. So you might like to turn there in your Bibles or on your phone, so you can follow along as we hear God's word. We've been singing about a holy God, and now we're going to have the privilege of opening up together His holy. Word. So Matthew 25, perhaps a familiar part of uh, the Gospels to some, maybe not to others. Um, it's entitled the parable of or the final judgment. So Matthew 25, verse 31 through to verse 46. We're going to read that and pray and then we're going to dive in together. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. It'll be on the screen for you as I read. I think. Maybe not. Verse 31, I'm reading from the ESV. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink, I was a stranger and you welcomed me, I was naked and you clothed me, I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity that we have this morning to gather like this and to be reminded of who you are and what you're like and what you've done for us in the Lord Jesus. Lord, to be reminded of things that really matter in this life and in the life to come and to have you speak into our lives from your word by your spirit. We thank you for this privilege and this opportunity and we ask that you would do that now. For your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll keep that passage open. We're continuing our series in Matthew's Gospel 
uh, that we've been working our way through for quite some time through to Easter Sunday, which is two weeks from now. And we've been already encouraged this morning to prepare our hearts and to uh, seek to focus and celebrate the wonder of the death and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. And I've got a way you can do that. You can read Matthew 26 to the end of Matthew regularly for the next two weeks. That will prepare you as we gather and celebrate it and it will help your heart respond to the wonder of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. So read it again and again, prayerfully and, and asking God to once again grip your heart with the wonder of it all. That it might not kind of just wash over you uh, this Easter, but grip you deeply. Now, as you know, and as the screen tells you, we've, be, we've called the series, rightfully so, Jesus the King who saves. Jesus the King who saves, which sounds great, and it is, but immediately ought to raise a question for us. From what? From what? What is it? that King Jesus saves us from. We probably should know that, right? That would be a good idea uh, for us to have some clarity about that. And our passage today makes it crystal clear for us, this passage perhaps known as the parable of the sheep and the goats. It comes at the end of chapter 25, which is the end of a kind of a few chapters of teaching from Jesus in response to his disciples question in chapter 24 and verse 3 when they say to him tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age in other words Jesus when's all this stuff going to happen and when's the end going to come the end in their mind is the time when God brings this age, this time to an end and brings us to judgment day and ushers in the new age to come. They're saying, when, what's going to be the sign? When's that going to happen? <laughs> Interestingly enough, Jesus uh, doesn't uh, answer their question particularly in the way they might have liked. Uh, he has spoken on God's judgment on Israel for rejecting their Messiah. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. And he then, after this question, urges them not to be fixated on when he will return, but rather to be ready for his return and to faithfully endure until his return. That's the focus of his teaching. And now at the very end of this section, we get a window. He gives us a window, if you like, into that day, that final day. Have a look again with me at 20, chapter 25 and verse 31 and 32. Notice what we see there. Chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Just, let's just pause there for a minute, shall we? And let's kind of think about that. Here we see the Son of Man, Jesus, this kind of term that's, that's found in the Old Testament in Daniel 7 and so on, this glorious human divine figure, the Son of Man coming, we're told, in his glory, that is with his 
divine splendor and majesty. Other parts of Matthew talk about him coming on the clouds in his glory. And do you notice who's with him? All the angels, we're told, are with him when he comes in his glory. Not just some angels, not just a representative group of the angels, but all the angels. How many is that, I wonder? Do we have a number on the angels? Well, we're only really told in the scriptures that it's a myriad of angels, or the phrase that's often used is 10,000 times 10,000. We're not told, and we're not told that so we can, you know, pick up our iPhone and get the calculator out and put in 10,000 times 10,000. We're told that because it's too many to number. So when the Son of Man comes in his glory with all the angels, my goodness, we're talking about a cosmic, awesome event, aren't we? Did you notice who's not just with him, but who's before him? Verse 32, before him will be gathered all the nations. I think that's everybody who's ever lived. All the ethnos, all the ethnicities is the original word. Gathered before him. And he will sit on his glorious throne. Jesus is sitting on the throne. He's now not on the cross. He's now risen, reigning and returned and on his throne. And what's he going to do when he's on that throne? He's going to separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Up until this point, sheep and goats, like sheep and goats, people are together. They're side by side doing the same thing, you know, kind of going through the same kind of you know, days, whatever. But there's a point where the shepherd goes, no, no, let's, let's separate the sheep. And that's what's happening here on this Great Judgment Day. Now, this passage uh, reflects Old Testament passages like I've mentioned in Daniel 7 and Zechariah and others where God is seated on the throne, Almighty God exercising judgment with his angels. But here it's Jesus which points us to the divine nature of the Lord Jesus who brings God's just judgment. So what's clear here? is not only that Jesus is the king who saves, as our series rightfully says, but Jesus is also... Hello, I've seized up. Can we go to the next slide? Or have we locked? There we go. Jesus is the king who judges. Not only does he bring God's salvation to those who receive him, but he also brings God's just judgment to those who refuse him. Again, verse 32 and verse 33, he will separate people like a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. Verse 33 says, and he will place the sheep on his right, which is the place of favour and honour, and he will place the goats on his left, which is the place of of shame and dishonour. So it's an awesome scene, isn't it? It's an awesome scene and it's an incredibly sobering scene. These are the words of Jesus. These are not my words. This is Jesus telling us, giving us a foreshadowing of the final day 
and what it will be like. Friends, this is actually ultimately about heaven and hell. That's what this is about. We see that in verse 46 and in other places, but Jesus finishes this by saying, and these, that is the goats, will go away to eternal punishment and the righteous, the sheep, to eternal life. There's, there's two outcomes that are going to happen on this last day for all of us and it'll be either eternal punishment or eternal life. This passage is about our eternal destiny and Jesus is giving us a heads up, if you like, before it happens so that we can prepare for his return and be faithful until he returns. This is the final day. This is alerting us to where history's heading because I don't know about you, but I'm always thinking, ah, oh, there's plenty of time, you know, whatever I got, you know, whatever. Just, just, you know, days go by, weeks go by, years go by, and it's kind of it's plenty of time. I don't need to think too seriously about some of those other things. Jesus has already told us earlier, no one knows the day or the hour. And we don't. It could be today. It might not be. It might not be for quite a while. But nevertheless, he says, this is what the day, when it comes, will be like. The day when we will all appear before Jesus the King, who sits on his glorious throne and judges justly. All the nations will be gathered before him, Jesus said, which I take includes us. Now note, it's important for us to note, this is not like a normal courtroom scene. I don't know whether you've been to court for anything or with anyone, but um, this is not like a normal courtroom scene with a prosecution and a defence. You know, the role of the prosecution is to prove guilt beyond any reasonable doubt, right? That's how it works. And the defence, their role, is to prove doubt in the minds of the jurors so that they're not in a position to reach a verdict. This is not like that. This is the glorious Son of Man sitting on his glorious throne, the one who knows all things and sees all things. David says man looks on the outward side, but God sees the Heart. This is the one who knows every word you and I have spoken. This is the one who knows every thought you and I have thought. This is the one who knows every deed you and I have done. And he is the one before whom our lives are completely laid bare. And he is the one to whom we must give an account. And so the sobering and the all-important question we must ask ourselves in the light of this is on that day, will we be on Jesus' right in the place of favour and honour or will we be on, on his left in the place of shame? And how can we know? How can we make sure? Even if today we actually probably would be on his left, what, what, what is it what's necessary for us to end up being on his right? How can that transition 
happen? And we're going to look at that a little bit. How can we know? Well, what do we notice about the sheep and the goats in terms of how Jesus pictures them? Have a look at the sheep in verse 34 to 36. Jesus says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Notice the, the, the sheep or the righteous, they don't even really realise they've done this. They haven't been doing these things in order to gain favour from God in some way. They're not even really aware. It's just who they are. It's just what they're doing. And they say to him, when did we do this? And Jesus says to them, Truly I say to you, did as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. So there's going to be people who have done things to the least of Jesus' disciples or Jesus' little children, the ones who belong to him, who may be suffering or in need, and they're just doing it out of love because God has put that love in their hearts towards them. And Jesus says, as you did it to them, you're actually doing it to me. Notice something wonderful here. The intimate connection between Jesus and his little ones or his people. These deeds were done to them. And Jesus says, yeah, but they were, they were done to me. That's how close this relationship is. So maybe you might think, well, I'm, I'm just the least of God's people. Well, Jesus is super close to the least of his people. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? The goats, well, you know, they didn't do anything and they like, when, did, when didn't we do it? And Jesus says, well, when you didn't have any concern for my, my little ones, my followers, when they were suffering and sick or in need, then you didn't do it to me. Now, we can think, we can mistakenly think, having read this, this kind of parable here, that, you know, it's all about good works. Uh, to be saved, to be on God's right-hand side on the last day, it's just about good works. I just, you know, I just need to do enough good works and I will land on his right. That's, that's what's being said here, isn't it? I just need to do sheep-like things, whatever they are, and that will make me a sheep. And it's often the way people can tend to think about you know, being right with God one day. If I'm just a good person, if I, if I just you know, live a good life and do enough good things and not too many bad things and kind of keep the scale tipped in that favour, then, then surely God will accept me when it comes to this final day. Well, it can't be that because that would go completely against the whole of the New Testament if that's what Jesus meant here. Think about it for a minute. Where is Jesus at this point in time when he gives this teaching? He's in Jerusalem, right in the firing line of all the religious leaders who actually want to kill him and get rid of him, and he's not leaving. Why is he in Jerusalem in the first place? Well, he's there because he's a saviour. He's not there because he's a morality coach. 
you know, coming just to give you a few ideas about being a moral person so that when you stand on the last day, you'll be accepted. No, no, he's coming as a saviour. What's he about to face less than 72 hours from this point? He's about to face the cross where he will make atonement for sins, for the sins of others, so that forgiveness from God is possible and right standing with God can be certain. So this can't be about good works because if it was, the cross would make no sense at all. If you, you, know, if you get, could get there by your own efforts, then why would Jesus die? Easter would make no sense. What would, be, what would, be, what would we be celebrating? Kind of some nice, I don't know, sentimental thing that Jesus did? No, no, we're going to celebrate that forgiveness was purchased and death was conquered. Our enemies were defeated by our Lord Jesus and now we have certain hope of the resurrection. That's what Easter's going to be about. So what, what, what then? What is this about the sheep and the goats here? I think there's two ways you can think about it or two things you can notice in them. The sheep are responsive to Jesus. Goats are not. The sheep are responsive to Jesus and the goats are not. As you did these things to the least of my brothers, you did it to me. And the goats are like, huh? What, 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 what little ones? The sheep are concerned, secondly, for Jesus' kingdom and the goats are not. Jesus speaks of things they did being to the least of his people, his flock, who are suffering. In fact, what they're showing is that they are actually also Jesus' little ones. They are also followers of this good shepherd. And therefore they love his people. They love his church. They love his kingdom. They love his purposes. And there are actions in their lives that are flowing out of that. Those who belong to Jesus have a particular concern for his people, his flock. Those who belong to him have a particular commitment to and care for his flock. Especially those suffering and in need. Those who belong to Jesus are responsive to him and those who don't are not. Those who belong to Jesus care for his church and those who don't, don't. So both the realities here reveal those who are genuinely saved and are therefore sheep and those who remain unresponsive to Jesus and are therefore goats, to use his analogy. And Jesus says this, it will, this is what it will be like on the final day when we all appear before his glorious throne. Now, I'll never forget a friend. I've told you about him before, I think only once, and, but if it's more than that, I apologise because, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not apologising for telling you about him for a third time. His name was Keith Hay, and he, was, uh, he became quite a close friend very quickly uh, while I knew him back at our previous church. Uh, he was uh, a husband of a lady in our church. He wasn't a Christian, she was. She would come pretty regularly with her daughters, but he was not interested at all. He would do whatever. He wasn't opposing her coming or anything like that, 
But um, yeah, he wasn't interested. Well, he was diagnosed with a very late stage stomach cancer at 46. And he went to see an oncologist who we also knew, who was also a Christian. And she said to him, you probably better get your things in order. And are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you ready to meet your maker? And she didn't just ask him that. She gave him a book, which was a basic book on what it means to be a Christian and how to become one. He devoured it, I think, in a couple of hours. And he repented and believed and became a Christian while he was still in hospital in his initial kind of treatment plan set up. He put his faith and his trust in this Jesus. Now, some might have been tempted to say he was just kind of, you know, covering his bases, a bit of kind of hell insurance just in case, you know. Um, But what we saw from that day on was clear evidence of genuine conversion, of sheepness, if you like. From that day on, he loved the word of God. He loved it. Loved talking about it, loved opening it with others, loved growth group, loved meeting with people during the week, and so on. He loved the gospel. He loved the good news of Jesus. He loved meeting with other Christians whenever he could, and he had a new love for the church. He didn't really think much of the church before. In fact, I don't think he really liked the church much before. Yeah, Carol, if you want to go, that's fine, but you know, no for me. But he was there every week. In fact, you couldn't stop him coming, and I'll never ever forget the day when I arrived at church and I looked to my right and over in the garden bed was Keith vomiting. And I thought to myself, man, you're really sick and you really want to be here. And that's what it was like until he went to meet with Jesus. He was clearly ready as tragic as it was. And so I'm, I want to ask you this morning, in light of that, in light of what Jesus has said in this passage, are you ready to stand before him as you sit here this morning? Are you ready? Like, no one knows the day. It could be today. We don't know. Are you ready? This is not something that we should put off till sometime later. Oh, you know, I'll get to that later. Kind of like that bill that you need to pay, but you keep forgetting, you know unless you're a really highly focused person, organised, and you never forget a bill and you always pay it. This is not something that we should leave. Remember, Jesus says no one knows the hour. Are you ready? And are you, like the sheep here, responsive to Jesus? In repentance and faith? Initially? In becoming a Christian? But not just initially, right? He calls us to persevere till the end. So continually. Such that you are trusting in Jesus and seeking to live for him. Is that, is, is that ringing true of you today? Because clearly for a long time there were these sheep and goats together in the same place and, and, the, and the, the tragedy is that on the last day some are going to think they were in and find they were out just because they were ticking some boxes and doing a few religious things and thinking they were in. 
turning up occasionally, whatever it is. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Are we genuinely converted and are we living in repentance and faith? Are we focused on the kingdom of heaven? On the people of God? On the church that Jesus is building? Is that evidenced in our prayers? Is it evidenced in our serving of others, our love for others, our sacrifice towards others? Is it evidenced in, your, in what you care about? Is it evidenced in our finances, in the way we give to the work of the gospel, both here and elsewhere? As you sit here this morning, are you confident you're one of his sheep, not because of your good works, but because of his saving work? Which leads us to the second point I want us to see today. See, Jesus is the king who judges, but as we've rightly identified from Matthew's gospel, he is ultimately the king who saves. He's ultimately the king who saves. And I want us to see two, two issues of grace here this morning. And firstly, I think what we want to see is the grace of warning that we've got in front of us this morning. You know, uh, we don't really, really like talking about judgment, do we? I, I don't. Um, we don't like thinking about it, perhaps. But, but what we need to see here this morning is that Jesus is actually showing us grace by warning us about it. You know, it'd be kind of, kind of like if I knew that out to the left here, just around the bend on Albany Highway, there's, this, there's a massive sinkhole, which you cannot see, and by the time you realise it's too late and you're plunging down to the bottom of it, and there's no bottom of it. If I knew that that was there, and I just said, smile on the door on the way out and said, see you next week. Hope you don't live in Kelmscott. Hope you live in uh, Thornley without saying anything. That would be clear evidence that I don't care. Actually, it would probably be evidence of something more, hmm, maybe sinister, right? That's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying there's a day coming, a final day, and, and, and I will sit and judge justly on that day. Are you ready? Are you ready? It's the grace of warning that we're seeing here this morning. He's doing it so that we might repent and believe, that we might turn from running our own lives, living lives our own way, doing our own thing, maybe with a little bit of God on the side, turning from that, submitting to Jesus and putting all our hope and trust in him. He's warning us so that we might stand before him on the final day as our Savior and not as our judge. The grace of warning. We've asked the question this morning, if Jesus is the king who saves, what does he save us from? And the answer is he saves us from the power and the penalty of our sin that we would otherwise experience on the final day if we don't have him as our saviour. The grace of warning, and then, of course, as we're going to see over the next two few, two few weeks, and I don't want to go too far into it, but I want to some way into it. The grace of the cross. Think about this for a minute with me, will you? I mean, this really struck me as I prepared this week. What did we 
where did we start? Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory with his divine majesty and splendor, with all the angels with him and all the nations before him sitting on his glorious throne. This Son of Man now will go to the cross and die and suffer and bear God's just and righteous judgment for our sins on our behalf. Can you, can you get your head around that? What does the hymn writer say? Here is love. Vast as the ocean. When the Prince of Life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Just as he's warning us, it's just as he's turning towards the cross. He does on that cross for us what we could never do for ourselves. So that if we will come to him as the good shepherd, as John says, who lays down his life for the sheep, and if we will look to him to save us and shepherd us, direct our lives from here on, we will be saved. We will be on his right in the place of favour. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. And we will inherit the kingdom prepared before the foundation of the world. Jesus really is the king who saves us. The question is, has he saved you? And don't answer that question too hastily. But allow the passage to itself to speak into that. Because what we've seen here, haven't we, is that salvation, when it's genuine, shows itself in changed lives. The actions of the sheep were not the grounds or the basis of their salvation. But it was the fruit of their salvation coming out in their lives. The evidence, if you like, that they are guilty and charged as sheep. Jesus is the king who saves. Has he saved you? Now maybe you've needed to see today what he saves you from. From the penalty of your own sins and from the just and righteous judgment of God. That's what he saves you from. And he's done everything for you to do it. You just need to come to him and by faith take hold of it for yourself. No longer trusting in works done by you, hoping that they might be enough, maybe, not sure, but trusting in his perfect work for you so that you can be absolutely sure.
How good is that? How good is it that the gospel would give us that kind of certainty of full acceptance before a holy God now? You know, I was talking to uh, some Mormons years ago and I asked them a direct question. Do you think you'd be saved if you died tonight? And you know what the answer was? I hope so. And the reason they could only say, I hope so, is because it is for them based on works. And if, you, if it's based on works, you can never know. But if it's based on Jesus' work, which is perfect and fully accepted by God, you can know. And you can rest in that finished work. Maybe you're here today and you've become complacent as a follower of Jesus. And today is a bit of a wake-up call and you've, you've needed that and Jesus knew you needed it. And so you've, it's, it's time to take, to take stock and to go, actually, is there this ongoing responsiveness to Jesus in my life? Or am I kind of you know, living on, par, on the past repentance and faith from years ago and there hasn't been any really much since? Again, it's his kindness to us, isn't it? That he might wake us up if we're asleep. And maybe you're here this morning and, yeah, you know you're one of his sheep, but you don't really feel like, you know, you're not that important. You're just kind of unimportant, one of the least. Well, Jesus reminded us this morning that he's pretty close to all of his people and even to the least. In fact, if someone blesses you, he's so close to you that whatever they're doing for you, if you feel that way as one of the least of his people, you, you, they're doing it to him. That's how close you are to him. Maybe you've needed to be reminded of that this morning. He's the king who judges, absolutely, bringing God's just judgment on that final day. But he's the king who saves, bearing God's judgment for you so that you might be saved. So friends, come to him. Come to him. Again, if you already have, and regularly. <laughs> but maybe for the first time, come. To the one who loves you enough to warn you about that final day, but then to die for you straight after that warning. That's astonishing. We're going to sing as the band comes and joins me up here. And as we head towards communion, these words of their next song. I don't deserve it, and I never will. If you would count everything that I've done wrong, who could stand? But there's forgiveness with you, God. Praise his name. Let's sing as we prepare to come around the Lord's table together.